posted on dimlywit.com. My name is Dr. Daryl Appleton, and this is Feelings and Other F-Words. The F-Word of the day has been described as one of the most fundamental activities we do as human beings. Some people call it the art of terminological inexactitude. Some of us call it factual shortcuts. And those of us looking for plain English call it lying. We are digging in to why we lie, how we lie, the impacts of lying, and how to spot a liar, even if that liar is you. Because don't we all just lie to ourselves every now and again? And this was really prompted by a conversation I've had in the past with my best friend and becoming a parent. And I hear her words, her story, this particular story, I'll tell you in a second, just echo every time I kind of do a white lie to my kids. Like, ooh, I'm so sorry. Elmo's sleeping. He can't play now. Ooh, God, the park is closed. I'm so sorry. Ooh. Um, but when I first met, she was my roommate in college. She's my best friend. I love her dearly. And I knew I love her, loved her. I had a deep love for her because we're so different in so many ways. And she was telling me the story, and I had never even thought about it this way, but she was telling me the story of growing up. And how every time Christmas came around, she would be terrified. The idea of this man just wandering about the house, eating cookies, taking dairy products. You know, she was like, it really freaked me out. It's bizarre to me that more kids are not hyper aware of just strangers roaming in their house. Like, we're okay with the lie that this person's coming in and, you know, goes through your shit and just drops off a bunch of presents. Like, that's an okay exchange. And it resonates with me because every time I lie to my kids, I think about her. So (laughs) there's that correlation. Um, But also it got me thinking about some lies we're okay with. And as we get into it a little bit more, we're going to see that we need lies on some level to have a functioning society. But then there's that question of where is the line and what does that look like? So, okay, if we go all the way back to the beginning, and I mean all the way back, let's talk like Genesis, right? In the Bible, for those of you who believe in it, and for those of you who don't, maybe you've heard of the book. I hear it's a bestseller. But Adam and Eve, right? This idea of the snake, the devil, lying to them about eating the apple, which sidebar, I love that apples are sexy in this. Like it's the forbidden fruit. We need a complete PR campaign to make apples sexy again because I feel like it's really country kitchen. But anyway, that's my own personal crusade being an Appleton anyway. But that that's the first, the first story, arguably, quote unquote, of lying. And we have become obsessed with lying and liars recently. Our focus has almost shifted from serial killers into con artists. Again, this fascination of being duped, whether it's a Ponzi scheme, whether it's P.T. Barnum type of pomp and circumstance, you know, whether it's this idea of the real or the fake Anastasia. This has all been throughout history. We're seeing it happening again. And to be fair, I don't think it ever stopped. We're just bringing more awareness to it. So in the Ponzi thing, like this is made off with P.T. Barnum, for those of you who don't know, um, you know, this idea of snake oil salesmen and projecting things as one, but it's actually another. 
um, and doing some really fucked up stuff. If you go into the history of PT Barnum, it's it, there are things, there are creepy things there. But this is somewhat of our Instagram influencers. This is how we are being sold things online that can cure wrinkles and make you feel more well or things like that. Like not every product is a real product. And then the Anastasia thing. I used to be obsessed with this, by the way. I don't know why. Um, again, if you don't know about the Anastasia thing, um, Anastasia. I'm going to say Anastasia because I'm a white woman um, in America. But this idea that somebody took on the identity of another, a princess who was lost um, during the war and during the Romanov Empire and masqueraded herself as Anastasia only to be Anastasia, only to be found out that that actually wasn't her. This is our Anna Delvies. This is our Tinder swindlers. This is even our Elizabeth Holmeses um, of the 21st century. So we're fascinated because so many people get duped. Now, according to research and popular opinion, there are three different types of lies. White lies, which you look great. Oh, my God. He's totally not going to break up with you. Santa, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy. White lies are the things that keep our society going. Uh, again, being from northern New Jersey, it's very hard for me. If you're asking me an opinion, I'm going to tell you the truth because I believe that it's cruel to be kind sometimes. Um, so the white lie in me is not necessarily all that strong. But for a lot of us, you know, this idea of I'm not going to tell my friend his haircut makes him look like a 90 year old. I'm just going to be like, you look great. Let's go get in the car. Um, it's just something that keeps our society moving forward because it's it doesn't matter one way or another. Right. It doesn't necessarily matter until it turns into something bigger. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there's something called black lies, which is done out of deception. It is hurt. There are casualties. People lose money. They lose their lives. You know, when we're talking about the Anna Delvies and the Tinder swindlers of the world, you know, there's deliberate deception there. There's there's deliberate cause and effect to something that is completely untrue. And it's interesting because in neuroscience news, they actually said that lies that potentially can come true were actually seen as less unethical, meaning, oh, I make half a million dollars a year to somebody who in their mind thinks that they're going to get there. It doesn't seem like a lie because they're projecting it to happen when you only make like 90, right? Like it's still a lie, but you're projecting it out there. Um, or yeah, we're totally planning on going to Rome this summer when like, you know, your bank account doesn't have that in it. You know that you can't get a babysitter. Like, you know, like work's not going to give you time off, but it could happen. So you're having this huge conversation about a lie. Now, this isn't, this, these are not the black lies that we're talking about, but it's interesting because neuroscience shows that again, when we think it might come true, we see it as less unethical. And I think that's how people, especially Elizabeth Holmes, they get into almost the con artist side of things. Not all people, not all people. I'm not defending it by any means, but it is a slippery slope. If you've ever had yourself you know, caught in a web of lies, it starts out with something small usually, and then it escalates. And I think that when we're talking about the white lie side of things, I know I'm jumping back and forth. I apologize. Hop with me, though. Back to the white lie side of things. This is the idea of pro-social living. And it really stems on the fact and idea that 
if we can identify suffering in others, that empathy that we might have for someone else, and we can tell a tale or we can do something to alleviate that suffering, it actually shows compassion. I know you're self-conscious about how you look in this outfit, so I'm going to do the quote-unquote compassionate thing and make you feel better about that. That's at the core, really, of white lies. It is not at the core of black lies. Now, something identified by Scientific American is emerging as an in-between and we call this a blue lie, which is really fascinating because in this world of, again, social media and fake news and politics and God, I read this on some, you know, subreddit somewhere and conspiracy theories, which don't don't get me wrong. I love a good conspiracy theory. But like these blue lies are lies that are really difficult to unpack sometimes because they could be true, like. We can understand why people tell them. And blue lies are lies in service for something bigger. So if you were to poll Americans about the CIA keeping secrets, most Americans would say like, yeah, that's their job as intelligence agents. Like they can't share us everything or they need to be deceptive to infiltrate other governments. We're okay with certain people lying to get done what they need to get done. And people are okay with that, right? Um, even in our speech, right? The blue lies, what I said before about terminolog terminological inexactitudes. I got that and the factual shortcuts for uh, lying from this book that I was reading called Spinglish. And it's the definitive dictionary of deliberately deceptive language by Henry Beard and Chris Cerf. And it's really interesting because they talk about how we use language to deceive in our everyday lives. And it falls a little bit under these blue lies in, in a sense, you know, enhanced interrogation techniques is torture. It just sounds nicer and we can swallow that a little bit better, but that's what it is. There's also this manipulative place of I can apologize without apologizing. So it's not an out and out black lie. It's definitely not a white lie where I have empathy in mind. It's I am strategically using this to potentially get what I want or not have to abide by your rules. So there are also reasons why we believe lies. Uh, one of the reasons is the halo effect, which was studied in the 1920s. And the halo effect basically is one positive trait will make us think the person has many positive traits. So for all of you out there thinking that you want like a tall man in your uh, DMs from your swiping. Um, we tend to think of them as more honest, more fair, more hardworking, or if somebody is rich or successful or has fame, then they must also be all of these other things. And we know that gets us in trouble. It, you know, the clout, as the kids call it, the clout that somebody has doesn't necessarily represent who they are as a person. So this halo effect is alive and well. And there are many reasons why we believe liars, but this is one of the bigger ones that the halo effect and the psychological impact of that, but also because sometimes it fits the narrative we want to have. Sometimes we believe something because it fits what we want to be true. We can also call this confirmation bias, where I strategically only look at news sources to support what I am saying. Whatever side of the party line you are on, my friends, everybody does it. And that to me is 
part of how we need to address the problem. And we'll talk about that in a bit, but we do it. We want confirmation bias. We want to surround ourselves with the facts or the information that is that makes us feel better or makes our point heard or valid. And we fall susceptible to lying in the process, which is a really dangerous thing. Now, I'm going to talk about the seven reasons why we lie to people. Um, there was a lot out there. I couldn't find any hard research on what's factual, what's not. So I kind of took a look and almost did like a qualitative analysis of what was out there and kind of like compiled the ones that kept coming up and up. So don't quote me on this. This is more public opinion and Daryl's quick qualitative review than hard science. So there is about seven reasons that I have found why people lie. And our stories after the break are going to kind of highlight some of the justifications of why people lie. The first reason is to create excitement or emotions to sympathize with somebody. It's, you know, amping up your weekend plans to, you know, make everybody feel like they're going to have the time of their life because it's your 30th birthday party and you want everybody to get ready to have fun. But the reality is like you're going to Vegas like every other dusty 30 year old birthday party. Sorry if I hit a pain point for some of you. The next one is to pacify and appease. And this is our white lies of sorts. This is also saying you would love to go on a family vacation when that is actually not the case, but you do it anyway. Um, or you're lying to your friend about their behavior. Maybe they just went off on some poor patron in a store and they're like, I, I'm right, right? He was being an asshole, right? Like that was terrible. And you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, girl. Yeah, absolutely. And in your mind, you're like, oh, my God, anybody ever spoke to me like that? Mm. There's also to get something, whether that's monetarily, whether that is product, whether that is attention of some sort, which we'll see also uh, in number four, which is specifically to win admiration. My children do this all the time with their fake crying. They're one and a half. And I'm not calling them liars quite yet, but they know how to game the system. My one twin is very good at the crocodile tears. And you would think the girl is in duress. Like people will stop and be like, is she okay? And I'm like, yeah, the second she gets what she wants, she's going to be like, happy, happy, happy. Like it, it's, it's a switch, but we know that certain behaviors elicit certain responses and we get dopamine hits from that. So makes sense why she does it. And I mean, more power to her if she keeps getting what she wants, Jimmy. Uh, the next reason is to win an admiration. And we see this in social media. I did a post a while ago about sad fishing, which was this concept I found incredibly interesting. And this idea that it's not catfishing, it's sad fishing, where we dangle out our trauma or we are even potentially making stuff up to gain support or you're so strong or look at all this stuff you're doing. Um, which also kind of leaks into the next one of specifically not admiration, but sympathy is another reason why people lie. And the clearest example of this and the most dangerous one is Munchausen syndrome, which is a psychological disorder where you intentionally make yourself sick or Munchausen's by proxy somebody else in order to gain sympathy. There was that awful, I can barely even speak about this be since becoming a parent, but there's that awful thing on the news where, uh, you know, a woman was purposely feeding her kid 
injecting salt into his IV in the hospital to keep him sick. And they saw it on camera and the poor kid ended up dying and they charged the mother because what a fucking monster. But that that would be Munchausen's and people lying about that to gain sympathy, because, again, we've said it in other episodes the main purpose of human beings on some level is to feel seen and heard psychologically. And like, that's a powerful driver when left untethered, when not, when there are no checks and balances to that. So when lies get out of control, yes, people do die. Yes. People do lose everything, including financial uh, security and familial support and, and et cetera, et cetera. The other reasons why people lie are to avoid punishment or embarrassment. With yourself or others in a lot of ways. Uh, this is this stems a lot of times from kids who wrote on the wall. Not me. Did you hit your sister? No. <laughs> you know, like this is a very clear why reason why why people lie. Um, did you get that expense report in? Ooh, no, my computer was down and my dog had chewed through, you know, some Fios cables and the guy had to come out. Like, yeah, okay, no. The answer is no, you didn't. So we have we do it all the time. Now, again, it can stay in a white lie area of sorts of like, OK, just get your shit done. And it can blossom into. No, I didn't murder that person. Crime shows, you know, where we're just living our life like nothing happened or we are, you know, doing something to avoid punishment or the embarrassment that comes socially. You know, we see these apology tours that happen a lot. Um after people are caught in lies, like it's it's a thing. The other reason why people lie is to test trust. And I find this so fucked up. People will intentionally tell a mistruth to see how loyal you are, whether that is, I've told you a juicy piece of gossip. And if you go tell that person, I know that you're a gossip and therefore I'm not trusting you with any other pieces of information, which I guess is really effective, right? If we're talking about spotting liars, sure. But what does that do to the fabric of your relationship if there is no trust to begin with because you're lying in the first in the first hand or the first reason? There's something to be said about that. Um, there's also exercising power by controlling information. Hitler did this. Um, it goes very bad when you only have one source of information coming in in any direction. I think that when we are even teaching our kids certain things, you know, by exercising power, by telling them only what we need to know in our minds, it keeps them safe or it keeps them tame or, you know, whatever the fucked up reasons we have as parents or just, you know, insane creatures running around. But that can get out of hand really quickly um, because it's not the whole truth. There's this omission of sorts. And then the final one is one I do all the time. And while I'm not proud of being a liar for this reason, I 100% am. And that's to get out of awkward social situations. <laughs> if I ever go to a party of yours, if I'm invited after this, if I ever go to a party of yours and I say things like, "Ooh, we can only stay for 20 minutes or Ooh, we only got an hour because the babysitter has to leave. I'm lying because A, I'm an introvert and B, like, it's going to get me out of a potentially social awkward information of just a whole bunch of small talk all night that I don't want to be a part of because it literally fries my brain. So we we do that all the time. Um, or even something like at a class reunion, people saying, what do you do for work? 
LinkedIn has made this much harder than the days of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion and inventing the post-it. But it's to get out of this social awkward situation of I don't actually do anything or nothing that I'm proud of um, or what happened to you and your your significant other. I see you broke up. Uh, oh, we just fell out of love. We went our separate ways. That's all, you know, all all to get out of awkward talk or awkward situations. Now, after the break, we're going to be talking about two stories that came to me about lying and it's interesting to unpack because I think everybody has different justifications around them, but we'll kind of explore after that ways to spot lying and how to recognize it in others and in ourselves as well, because I think that's also a really important piece of this. So all of that is coming up after the break. Welcome back to Feelings and Other F-Words. We are diving into some stories that made their way into my inbox about lying or factual shortcuts, whatever whatever floats your boat out there. So this one, I'm going to read two of them. Um, they're fairly similar, but I think they're both interesting in their own ways. That's why I chose them out of many, many stories about lying that came through. So here it goes. Kind of a weird situation. I have an awesome girlfriend. 26. We've been together for three years. I plan on marrying her. We have a great group of friends that includes a lot of my high school friends and their girlfriends. We typically meet up twice a week and I live for these hangouts. Kendall has some social anxiety, so sometimes it isn't the easiest getting her out of her shell. But for the most part, she does try and my friends absolutely love her. So the whole situation, as it always does, revolves around my good friend, Mandy. Mandy, where are you coming from? Fucking shit up. Me and Mandy were friends since high school and went to the same college and became best friends. She is a main character in our friend group. At first, Mandy and Kendall were great friends, but one night Mandy joked with Kendall that they were Eskimo sisters. Kendall asked what that meant. <laughs> the truth being that one night five years ago while in college, Mandy and I got drunk and slept together. We hardly remember this and we think it's hilarious now. We make jokes about it. Kendall found out she did not think it was funny, had a panic attack, and we had to leave. We started to talk it over, and I said that I didn't feel like it was really all that relevant. We're just friends. Kendall said she was fine with it, but just it was shocking. I reassure her it was a I reassured her it was a drunk drunken five night. Bleh. I reassured her that it was a drunken night five years ago and literally meant nothing. Ever since it's been a pattern. We'll go out with friends. Kendall will see Mandy. Panic attack ensues, and we will have to leave. It's happened about five or six times now, to the point where my friends asked why we just leave randomly. Kendall isn't a jealous person at all. Pause. Yes, she is. Sorry, Kendall, but you are. Let's not lie. Let's call a spade a spade. She's very confident in herself and never displays jealous tendencies. Pause. Lying to yourself because this is a jealous tendency, no matter how confident somebody portrays. But let's continue on. But for some reason, when we see Mandy, she breaks out into a panic attack. Like like a rash, <laughs> like like being like when I eat onions and I love them and I will continue to eat them. Like my throat itches. So basically, Kendall has a a uh, allergy to Mandy. But my girlfriend keeps wanting to hang out with the group to prove it doesn't bother her. But when she does, panic attack. Then we leave. I mean, girl, it's an allergy. You got to go uh, to an allergist. So I've gotten tired of this. I want to see my friends. We had a trivia night recently, and I told Kendall that I was hanging out with my work friends, not my high school friend group. She said she would hang out at home then. She, so me, 
and a coworker met up with my friend group and we did a trivia night. Unfortunately, one of my friends put up a story of all of us and Kendall saw. When I got home, she was furious that I excluded her from a friend group hangout. I said that I felt like she was isolating me from my friends with her issues and I wanted to see them for a full night, not 30 minutes. She said she can't control her panic attacks, but she is working on them. And me excluding her because of them was such an asshole move. It's it's tough. It's tough. And I think this is how we start to get down into a place of lying to ourselves, to our significant others, you know, without meaning to necessarily. And again, maybe I'm giving people more uh, more grace than they should be given. A lie is a lie, right? But we see how it starts, this slippery slope. Now, at some point, the therapist in me says, cool, go to couples counseling, really explore it. What is Kendall actually doing for these panic attacks that she's working on them? And at what point have they just become adverse reactions where she gets to control a situation? Now, on the other hand, you trying to get some freedom by lying about who is there is a short-term dopamine hit. Makes sense. I'll ask for forgiveness later, not permission, as so many people do. And you got caught. So I'm wondering, is this, would it happen again if you didn't get caught? The answer, if we're not lying to ourselves, is probably yes, because we see we saw something that yielded a result. And that is where things really go downhill. But it it makes sense. It truly does make sense of how people get into this place, because I think there's that white lie of it's just my friends. I know I'm not doing everything. Everything's OK. She's overreacting. I want to save her from any hurt. But it goes into a blue lie of. I'm being altruistic here, like and to further clarify, a blue lie is kind of like Princess Leia saying what they don't like. She doesn't know where rebel forces are stationed or Snape being a double agent like he's lying the entire time. But at the end, it was for good. And I think so many times in blue lies, we see ourselves as the protector or as somebody doing something um, to make a situation better. But we're kind of at the center of it in a lot of ways. Uh, not to not to discount Snape's contribution because I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. The second story that was sent over is a little bit um, so it's a little different, but same vein, same vein. All right. Uh, when my wife was over six months pregnant, I got laid off from my job. My wife has high blood pressure, which didn't make things better because she stressed the whole pregnancy about the baby's health. As one does, I have stories for you. This isn't about me. We unfortunately suffered two miscarriages in the past, and we were really afraid of losing our son. Absolutely understandable. When I got laid off, I never told her. Instead of every day leaving for, quote, work, I was taking up Uber to have some sort of income coming in because this wasn't some extra something extra I wanted to stress her about. Over the two months, there has been job interviews and applications submitted um, for the same position I was working, but at different companies. Thank goodness I finally got a job offer. My hiring date is in a few days, but my wife surprised me today when she called asking where the hell I was. She came to my office I was supposed to be working at to bring me a surprise lunch. Obviously, I was not there. And she got really, really mad. After telling her the real reason, my wife started crying. How could I lie to her about something so important, she said. 
We would have been fine with me not working for a few months. There would have been money from unemployment, my savings, and the money I was making off of Uber to keep us going even after the baby got here, which is justification. I also tried to explain to her that it was for her health and for the baby's health so she doesn't stress about money. Flag on the play. Flag on the play. My wife didn't care because she still thought it was a lie because it was. Right now, she went to go cool off at her sister's for a bit. I talked her. I talked to her sister on the phone and she thinks, yeah, I should have told her. But even after explaining my reasons for my wife's health, was it really that bad that I was lying? Yeah, lying is bad and it's always important to tell the truth. But for this particular situation, question mark? Yes, sir. And this is a thing with lies, right? And I think when I do couples work, at the end of the day, we can come back from a lot of things like the human human relationships are really resilient, but you start to enter lies about things and you start to take into the healing that needs to happen from a mistruth like that. And the thing isn't like, was it altruistic? Like, was it a big lie? Was it a little lie? It almost doesn't matter when it comes to lies or lying. What really starts to matter and matters most is I never thought you were capable of deceiving me like that for so long. What else are you capable of? And that's a lot of what I see sometimes in infidelity or in emotional or in even physical abuse stories. Or again, even I'm going to use the, in my air quotes. I don't mean they're small lies, but in smaller, again, air quotes, lies like that. It's not about the lie itself. It's what it does to the trust in the relationship. So it's really interesting to me because we all lie. And in those particular stories, we see how each of our lovely write-ins made justifications. They fell into one of these seven reasons why people lie. And part of it was to get out of an awkward situation of having to have the conversation with wife, girlfriend, whoever. Part of it was to get something out of it. I get to still make money for us without having to explain myself or I still get to go to trivia. Part of it was to appease, appease or pacify uh, the, our loved one. So there's a lot there uh, of why our brains trick us into this. So how do we start to recognize and take less factual shortcuts? How do we lie less? And how do we recognize lying when it's happening more, even in our own lives? Now, as I was going on my research crusade and I was Googling like a maniac, it was so amazing to me when I was like, okay, how to spot a liar or re how research, you know, research around uh, lying. And it was like micro facial expressions. And if somebody puts their eyes to the right or they cross their arms or, you know, they use less I statements. There were dozens of Google pages on this. Like I went deep. I went deep Googling, went a deep dive. And there was like page six, seven, eight, ten people with places that you shouldn't go in Google. But they were there strong. And it's so interesting because everybody wants to spot a liar because they don't want to be deceived. It's kind of like why we like true crime. We watch a lot of true crime. Because our brain thinks that if we see it happen to somebody else, we will be better equipped for it to not happen to us. Uh, so it's almost like a, an exercise of sorts. So people are looking for like facial expressions and body language, and they're becoming like FBI behavioral analysis profilers. It's, it's wild to me. But I'm going to give you three ways to recognize lying that might be a little bit different. And 
The number one thing is, and again, this is even lying in yourself. The number one thing is if it feels off, it probably is. My grandmother likes to say, if it looks like shit and it smells like shit, it's probably shit. So there's a great book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. Many of you have probably read it. That's a great book if you're looking to hone in on these skills more because there's so much research that supports our gut reaction to something. Something feels off. Work on fine-tuning that gut. And sometimes people are like, how do I do that? That doesn't make any sense. I've literally told people like, if you have an hour or two of your time, go get lost and then try to find your way back. Walking, driving, make sure your cell phone's fully charged, make sure people know where you are, turn your location on, but start working on your gut. Do you go left or do you go right? Which way do you want to explore? Something small like that can help us bring our gut into the chat and start paying a little bit more attention. The second thing is, I want you to understand the outcome that you are seeking. So many of us ask questions that we don't want to hear the answer to, that sometimes we accept whatever answer is given to us because we don't want to hear the answer. So knowing, starting with the end in mind and knowing what it is you're actually looking for and being honest with yourself about that is a huge part of this process. This could be on a relationship level, like, are you cheating on me? No, my God, I would never. Okay, well, whose fingernail is this? Oh my God, cleaning lady. I was in a game and like they scratched me. It was a dog walker. She was fumbling for her dog and I caught her and like, whatever. You might not be ready to hear that information. Ask yourself, like, am I equipped to hear the answer to this? Or do I just need to sit with my feelings a little bit more? Because this is how so many of you just end up in relationships all over again because you're not ready to hear the answer. But this could also happen on the consumer side of us. I want, you know, anti-wrinkle cream. So I'm ready to believe whatever influencer tells me about my anti-wrinkle cream. Um and we don't do a deep dive on it. We don't look into like, are they accredited with a better business bureau? Like, what do the reviews actually say? Like, have I sourced this from other people? Like, don't put stuff on your body or in your body that you don't know anything about. Hard and fast rule. And number three, I want everybody to start to live from a place of truth. And I want you to be aware and name when it is that you are lying, even if it's a white lie. And I want you to take accountability for that. Because Notre Dame actually did a study and found that people who lie less are overall more happy and have better relationships in their life. So in this age of filters and consumerism and perception versus reality, that basically is factual shortcuts of sorts. I want you to start to live more authentically. I want you to start to ask yourself, like, is this narrative something I want a part of my story, whether it's true or not? Is this something that I want to take the time to explore? And I want you to gather information from multiple sides, multiple sources, whether that's about where you're putting your kids into school, whether that's your political stuff, like be a consumer of knowledge and then make your decision. I treat lots of things because I'm a nerd. I treat lots of things almost like a scientific experiment. And I say to myself when I'm ready to make a decision or if I'm questioning whether I'm not I'm ready to make a decision, I ask myself, do I need to collect more data? Do I have enough data to support the hypothesis that I have presented? In plain, not nerdy speak, it's do I know enough about this to jump in with two feet? And if the answer is no, then don't. There will be another job that comes around. There'll be another 
time to get married. There'll be another relationship to get into. There'll be another school to put your kids in. Like, I would much rather you make an educated decision that could still be lying to you. Right. But I want us to express and own that piece of empowerment of making informed decisions rather than making decisions based on feeling. So what we've learned today is that we're all liars and we're all going, <laughs> we're, we're all going to hell from that uh, snake toting around poisoned apples. No, I'm mixing up. I'm mixing up tails. Poison apple is no way. But ultimately, we are all susceptible to being lied to and being the liar to someone else. So the more that we know, the better that we can do. Till next time, this has been Feelings and Other F-Words, and I am Dr. Daryl Appleton. Bye! Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hosted on dimlywit.com.